evening. Um, it is awesome to be here tonight. Um, I was told not too often, not too long ago, that I use the word "awesome" uh, a bit much in my vocabulary; that it kind of loses its meaning. Um, but I can truly say it's awesome to be here tonight, um, and I do mean that in its uh, full meaning. Um, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter five. We'll be in verses one and two tonight. Um, it's always a great honor to preach. Every time I get the opportunity, uh, I cherish it. Tonight, I'm especially excited. As many of you know, we've been going through a sermon series at our church Sunday nights uh, where we kind of pick some of our favorite verses. I was telling Holly whenever I was trying to figure out which verse to preach that it's hard because there's a lot of verses that I love, a lot of verses that have had a great impact on me. Um, this one in particular has been on my heart and on my mind the last probably month. Um, peace with God is our topic tonight. Um, it was actually read, I didn't even know it was going to be read, last week on Easter service. That just uh, cemented the fact that I should probably preach it tonight. So I'm excited to get into Romans chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 and 2. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God you are sovereign over all things. You are a God who cares for us. We pray that tonight you would open our eyes, open our ears. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, your perfect and precious word. That, Lord, tonight I would decrease and you would increase. That, Lord, I would not speak a word that would not be from you. You would have grace and mercy on me, your humble servant. On us as a church, we pray and we humbly approach you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything that you do. Be with us tonight. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So Paul, who is the author of this, wrote Romans, a little bit of context, uh, towards the end of his ministry, it's this pinnacle of his work. Uh, the book of Romans is different from most other books, most other, other letters written in the New Testament. In the fact that most other letters in the New Testament are written to specific churches about specific issues. Um, you look at the book of Ephesians. It's written very specifically about a very specific sin that's going on in the the church of Ephesus. This book, however, is um, more broadly about God and his great plan of redemption. Um, some have considered it really the first systematic theology. What I mean by that is Paul builds one idea to another to another. And his main point here 
in Romans chapter 5 is talking about salvation and peace with God. We see here in the beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So Paul begins these beautiful verses, like I said, building upon what he just talked about in chapters 3 and 4. So for us to really understand what he's talking about in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we need to go back and see what he has established in chapters 3 and 4. Turn really quick to chapter 3, verse 28. We're going to be in the book of Romans quite a bit tonight. Paul in chapter 3 makes the argument that one is justified or made right by faith alone. Chapter 3, verse 28 states, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It isn't what we have accomplished through our actions or works. It's not the things that we bring to the table for God that justifies us. And that's Paul's major point in chapter 3. We have been justified by faith in the work of Christ and the work of God and his promises. Look at verses 29 through 30. Verse 29 of chapter 3. Or is it God, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles? Yes, the God of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the circumcised through faith. So again, he makes this other point that salvation is by faith for all people. It's no longer based, as the Jews thought, on heritage, but it's by faith. It's always been about faith, which is what we see in verse 31. Do we not then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul, like he does many other times, asks this rhetorical question that he knows is going to be brought up. And he answers it himself. Uh, he says that the law is not nullified. It's com faith completes it. And he goes on in chapter 3, or chapter 4. We see in verses 1 through 3, Abraham was justified by faith. Look at verse 1. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He goes on in chapter 4, stating that this is exactly what David believed in the next few verses of chapter 4. And he finishes in chapter 4 expressing that it is by faith we are justified. Many people come to the text of the Bible thinking that the old and new are separated in the fact that people in the Old Testament were saved by works and people in the New Testament are saved by faith. This, of course, is a misconception. It's always been by faith. And chapter 4 is that main point. Abraham was saved by faith. David was saved by, by faith. And it ends in chapter 4, verse 23 and 25, expressing this fact that just like Abraham in the Old Testament, we are justified by faith and not by works. The book of Romans is rich with this beautiful theology that we could stay in for years, but for time's sake, we'll move on to Romans 5. 
So, Paul builds on this fact, everything that he just laid the groundwork for, the fact that we have been justified by faith, and then he moves forward, we have peace with God. So as we move through these two verses, these rich verses, it can be easy for us to kind of get bogged down, but let's remember these Let's focus on these three points as we are walking through these two verses, and I think we'll be have a better understanding, or at least remember some, or at least I'll remember some things as we walk through them. So the first point that I want to bring out is that the Lord gives us peace with Him. The second point that you can think about and start thinking about is the Lord makes us restless with worldly things, and finally we stand in grace or we now have favor with God. So point one, the Lord gives us peace with him. What this whole sermon is about, really, and this what has been on my mind is what is peace with God? What does that look like? What does that mean? And now again in verse one, Paul's expressing this, peace with God, based on faith, not based on works. Now that we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So the question needs to be answered, what, the, what does peace with God mean? For us to understand that, we need to first understand why we need peace with God and what does it mean or what does it look like when we don't have peace with God. And the scriptures are clear about that. In our natural state, before we have been justified through God, before we have been justified by faith, we are not neutral against God, we are not apathetic, we are enemies with God. We are in an active state of rebellion against God before salvation comes to us. I think it would be hard for many people, if you ask them on the street, to express this fact, even people who call themselves Christians, that the biggest issue with the human race is not that we are apathetic towards God or we don't care about God. It's that we are active enemies against him. And it's expressed throughout the scriptures. We don't need to leave Romans to understand this. Look at Romans chapter one, verse 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So the wrath, is God, the wrath of God is on all the unrighteousness, whoever that might be. And they, the unrighteousness, the people who are unrighteous, are without excuse, it says. So who does this encompass? Well, as many of you know, Romans chapter 3 Verse 23, by heart, that's a simple answer. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't a person that has ever lived outside of Christ. There isn't a people group. There isn't a nation. There isn't anyone who has lived and not been under the active rebellion against God. So all of us 
from the moment we are born are at enmity with God. We are against God actively. We are outside of God's favor. Not only are we ignorant, but we are disobedient, rebellion, in a state of hate towards God. We are enemies of God. And Romans chapter five expresses this amazing idea that God, in his grace and mercy, because we have been justified by our faith, not our works, we now have peace with God. That relationship we used to have with God, where we had this strife, we had this negative experience because we hated God, that's been removed. We now have a peace with God. We have a right relationship. We are reconciled with God. It's so much more than this, this simple, we have peace about it, or we, 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 we walk through this, but it is a right relationship with the one and true holy God. Hostility has been removed between us. Before God was active, just like Romans chapter one said, the wrath of God was, was on us all. Every single one of us, we had active wrath. God was pouring out. And we had this great schism between us and God. But because of faith, because of his work on the cross, that has been removed. That now is peace with that one true God. One thing that we, or at least that I miss so often in this discussion is leaving it at that. We could leave it at that, though. That is an amazing truth, that we now have peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. But I think this verse is, is telling us a lot more than just not only have we been reconciled, not only has that negative relationship with God been, been forgiven and, and been, been made right, but with God, peace with God means we no longer have peace with worldly things. It took me a while to understand what this meant the more I read and more I thought about this verse, but before we were reconciled with God because of his work on the cross and before we had peace with God in his ways, we had peace with worldly things. The things that we used to love, which were bad for us, sin, death, destruction, things that would have caused us death, we were at peace with loving those things. Have you ever had a conversation with a non-believer that kind of shocked the way they lived? Not they were extreme, I'm not even talking about that, um, but that they just loved some things that you were kind of confused about. Um, at my work, we have quite a lot of non-believers and there's a lot of downtime, so I try to bring up as many conversations as I can about life. Um, what they do outside of work and, they sh and try to share the gospel as much as I can. I hear stories of people staying up late, partying, doing drugs, hooking up, hooking up with strangers, and that just sounds awful to me. Um, not because I'm better or inherently you know, above any of that, 
But because God has changed my desires, I used to love sin. Those type of things would have expressed a great love. I would have loved to go out and do drugs or do anything like that. But God changed my heart. We used to love those things. The Bible doesn't say that we have peace with the devil or peace with the world or peace with sin. But when we were enemies with God, we had peace with those things, but now we have peace with God. You don't have to turn there, but listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, of the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. There's this warning throughout the scriptures that we, read, we just read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. A warning for believers about the worldly passions of the world. Now that we have peace with God, those things should not attract us. We should not go out and love the world because we love God in his ways. Titus chapter 2, I'll have you go there. I know we're flipping around a lot, but I want you to hear this one. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, express this idea. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So this idea, salvation has come to people. Training us, verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So salvation has come to us, and we haven't been saved not to just sit on the sideline, but salvation has come and now is training us to live godly lives we no longer have worldly passions. We renounce ungodliness, not because we are better or we are above that, but because of the grace of God that he has given us, we are able to live that way because he has changed our hearts. Peace with God means we have peace with our Lord and Savior, and now we have, no longer have peace with worldly things. He has changed our lives. And we hate sin. That's one other thing that is unique to the Christian life. Because God has changed our lives, we, love, we used to hate him, now we love him. And we used to love sin, and now we hate it. And we should hate sin. We should, when we sin, it should bother us, distress us, Lead us to our knees for repentance because we no longer want to do those things anymore. It's no longer a part of our nature. God has changed our nature. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon concerning this verse. I am delighted to find that sin stings you and that you hate it. The more hatred of sin, the better. A sin-hating soul 
is a God-loving soul. If sin never distresses you, then God has never favored you. The number one indicator for our lives that we have been changed and that we have salvation is we need to ask ourselves, do we love God? And do we hate sin? Do we hate the things that are opposed to God? And finally, the last point is peace with God means not only peace with God, but we have favor with God. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Well, first, we'll go back to verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him, Jesus Christ, and the faith that he has given us, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So not only do we have this peace with God, not only do we have this desire to follow him and his, the things that he loves, but we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We could stay in verse one for a while, but I really wanna focus on verse two for a moment. According to verse one and two, again, we are no longer at war at God, with God. We have this grace given us by God. So much more than just reconciliation to the point that God is no longer against us. This, of course, is true. God is no longer against us, actively giving us wrath, like, uh, like Romans chapter one expressed. But now, God is with us. He's for us. Romans chapter eight, verse 31, expresses this idea. Just a couple pages after Romans five, Romans eight, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because of the faith that we have in God and because of Jesus and his resurrection, we now have God on our side. He is actively expressing for us. He's actively um, with us. As many, many of you know, Holly and I are going through the um, early stages of foster care, and uh, we've been praying a lot lately um, about adoption. And I wasn't even going to speak on this, but a few weeks ago, we, we found out that there could be a possibility of, of Jari, and some of you know this, of Jari going back to either birth mother or grandma. And that's been a really tough thing for us. Um, Romans chapter 
5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 gives us this hope that even though all of these bad things that we may see are bad, him leaving us, um, who we consider our son leaving us, God is for us, and there's nothing else that matters. God has reconciled us to himself. And Romans says that he works all things for the good of those who love him. And because he has given us our faith, because he has given us this great gift of faith, we now have that peace with God. And either this life or the next, we have faith that he'll make all things right. For the, for the good of those who love him. The creator of the universe, the one that says in John 1, states that all things were made for him, by him, for him, and through him. He upholds the universe. Because of our faith, he now looks individually. You as a Christian believer, he has embraced us, and he loves us with the very love that he has for his son. F.F. Bruce stated that the former rebels are not merely forgiven. Not merely forgiven. That would be enough just to be forgiven. Something we don't deserve. The mercy of God. But the rebels are not merely forgiven by having their due punishment remitted. They are brought into a place of high favor with God, the grace in which we all stand. We are no longer stained by sin. This song that we sang earlier, the blood of Jesus covers our sins, makes us clean, and the very righteousness of Jesus Christ is now our righteousness. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We have, because of faith, we have access to this grace that God gives us that we have been forgiven, and not only forgiven, we have been made clean and righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Faith in God changes our current state in the sense that we are no longer enemies with God. We now have peace with him because of that. He changes our desires and he looks upon us as though we are righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, the reason why I love it is because it is an expression of what the gospel message is for all people everywhere. We are born not justified and not at peace with God. But because of faith, we can have peace with him. So as we go forth tonight, 
just a few things to keep in mind looking back at these verses. One, it is by faith in God and not our own works. I probably belabored that point a bit. But it's by faith that we have obtained peace with him. Faith in Jesus, a very specific faith in our Lord and his work on the cross. We all need to examine ourselves and see if we are doing things in the church trying to obtain some sort of favor with God or is it because we love him because of what he has done in our lives? Any type of favor that we're trying to obtain is not what God has called us to do. Remember again verse one, we have been justified by faith that God has granted us, we now have peace with God, not through works. Secondly, we need to examine ourselves and ask, do we hate sin? One of the biggest marks of a Christian is that we used to love sin and now we hate it. As Charles Spurgeon said, if we don't hate sin, God might have never favored us because he changes us. This sinning, break you? Does it bring you to your knees? Is it something that you wish to repent of or are you numb to it? That's something only you as an individual person can answer. And finally, these truths should lead us to rejoice in God and all that he has accomplished. Look at verse 2, the end of verse 2. In which we stand, this grace, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice or we boast, as some translations put it, the fact that God has accomplished this truth. That God, and we hope in God, that he has accomplished this. So that any type of boasting, any type of good work, any type of godliness that we may display, any type of correct teaching that I might have taught tonight, Anything like that is not because I'm good. It's because God has granted salvation to believers anywhere. And we should rejoice and boast in Christ and his work. We should rejoice in his glory because he has given us salvation through faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and holy and righteous God. You are a God that saves people everywhere. We are unworthy of salvation. We are a people that was once against you, but you sent your son to save your enemies. And now, through faith, we have salvation, and we praise you so much for that. Lord, continue to grow us, sanctify us by your word. We thank you for all that you do. It's your son's name we pray, amen.